And we're back. It's episode number 34 of the Coffee and Codecast. Yeah, I think that's well due and deserved here, buddy. That's no sound effect. Cheers. I'm seeing some red here. Does that mean you're a little loud? Yeah, bring me down a little bit. Cool. Welcome, everybody, to the Coffee and Codecast, a live stream tech podcast where we talk about neither coffee co- or code, although today it might be a little code. A little bit of code today, for sure. Yeah. I'm Kyle Johnson. And I'm Mike Sheehan. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Uh, very exciting episode. We've taken, uh, took a week off last week, um, and uh, this week it's all about Build, Microsoft Build 2019 here at the Washington uh, State Convention Center. And so uh, we've got a lot to talk about. We're not going to be able to get it all in today. But we're going to cover some of the highlights, and then we'll have a follow-up episode probably next week uh, to get some of the other things in there, too. So thanks for joining. How you doing, buddy? I'm, I'm great. Uh, it's been a heck of a couple of weeks. It's been kind of crazy and hectic, hasn't it? Just yeah. on the work front and personal and everything kind of seems that way. Yeah, we got a lot of deadlines to hit, uh, especially for my team, and we're getting there. We're in reasonably good shape. Uh, a lot of work still to do, but I think we're in a place that we can hit hit it, so... That's exciting, but it's also very stressful. So have not had a lot of time to go over the show notes as you've written here, which you did a great job. This is very abnormal for the Coffee Codecast here. Usually it's vice versa, right? Kind of a deal. Yeah, exactly. I know. So this is a, a Mike show uh, and I don't have any research done. So hopefully you've got a lot of good stuff it, to talk about. It'll be very conversational because it's stuff that you already know about and it's just kind of like little little tweaks and, and new and new tidbits. So fear not, buddy. You get to step into my world now. This is what I usually do. I just show up with a couple of beers and I'm like, what are we, what are we doing today, man? What are we doing? <laughs> what are we talking about? And you've got really polished notes. So yeah, uh, I was very happy to put this together uh, this week and had the time to do so. So, um, so many cool things just coming out of the conference. It'd be fun to dive into that. Polished may be uh, an awfully strong word. But okay. Okay. <laughs> I have notes. <laughs> well, you've always been very thorough. I think that's fair. I can say that much at least. I'll take so, that one. Yeah, you're very thorough. So right on, man. I think, But I think before we get into that, it is kind of interesting to talk a little bit about what's happening right now because it has been kind of a sprint at least the last few weeks, especially for you. I'm, I'm helping out, but I'm kind of like, it's a different, you're in a different situation. So how, how's it been going? I know you guys had last Wednesday, you had a big bash. Yeah, and we're going to have another one actually coming up this week, uh, tomorrow, Is tomorrow it, night, actually. Was it Thursday? Maybe it was Thursday, last Thursday. I think it was last Wednesday or Thursday. I don't okay. remember the date. It was Wednesday, actually, because we were supposed to record, but you were going to be out of town. That's right. So we went ahead and did it Wednesday, but uh, it went well, and uh, we are doing another one, and we have one scheduled every Thursday up until our date of launch. Um, so the whole team of you know almost 10 guys mm-hmm. are pretty much going to be staying here after hours. I think the last time we stayed till nearly 8 30 something like that that's so pretty cool pretty long day but, but we got a lot accomplished so a lot of bug work taken care of the product came along you know quite a ways in, in one evening which is really exciting to see and it's it's a lot of fun we, we sit in this room that we're in right now at the conference table we put on some tunes we brought in some food everybody had a good time and collaborated and got things got questions that they needed answered pretty quickly uh, so it was a real collaborative environment and it was a lot of fun I was jealous to miss that one and also tomorrow because I will be gone as well. But next week and the weeks following, um, I'll be here. And I, I'm excited for that because that's always a fun thing. Usually like the end of a deadline is met with tons of stress and, and some negativity maybe like, oh, shit, we're not doing enough and we're not going to hit the deadline. But it sounds like I saw the chatter on teams and it looked like everybody was um, kind of enjoying it and getting into it a little bit. I think you're right. I think you're right about that. And I, I was talking to a number of team members today and everybody I, I think feels like we're in a reasonable place. There's tons of bugs to fix still and there, there's more being found all the time. But nobody feels that it's an insurmountable task, right? It's going to be kind of a right up to the deadline, right up to the line finish. But I think it's doable and, and I think we can make the goal. Everybody has to be focused and kind of buttoned down and do everything they can to get us there, but I think it's definitely possible to make it. Which makes it exciting, too, because if it's attainable, uh, you can deal with some of the short-term pain. 
I think it's hard when you're at, when you realize there's no way in hell we're even close to being done and we don't know when we're going to be done and we don't even know all that we have to do. That can be a real dark spot of desolation as a developer. I've been there before and I think this is a way different thing where now there's momentum going to the finish line, like you said. So very it cool. Is, it is interesting that you say that because it, it ebbs and flows. We had, I, I had last Friday to give you an, an example was a day where I like got um, jerked around in a lot of different directions, right? So fixing a lot of problems, helping people get unblocked, that kind of thing, mostly what I'm supposed to be doing. But the context switching like that an entire day is, is really draining and really taxing. Yeah. And it, and it makes you totally lose your focus. So I, at the end of the day, I was trying to like m- fix one particular item and I like sat there and stared at my screen for 45 minutes or something like that and accomplished nothing. So at that point, I just kind of gave up and washed my hands and I was like, I got to leave. Yeah. But I also was feeling very defeated that day. Like I was just like totally overwhelmed. And so coming in Monday with a new perspective actually made me feel a lot better. I kind of like whiteboarded a whole bunch of things and uh, line itemed everything that we had remaining, you know, that were big ticket items. Obviously the bugs and the testing kind of is a continuing ongoing process, but put a put a bunch of stuff up on the whiteboard. And by the time I got done with that and reviewed the, the list and had talking talked with Allie, who's our project manager, everything felt a whole lot better. Well, that's awesome. Sometimes walking away is the best way to do it. I know even just fixing bugs, like in a much smaller dimension, but I've oftentimes just given up in frustration and gone to sleep and thought about it and woke up and boom, I woke up, wake up, woke up, I woke up and boom, uh, the answer was there. So yeah, I remember talking to you a little bit about that and you were just saying it was kind of a low point. So I'm glad that things seem to be looking up this week. It's good. And it's interesting because like, I say that a lot. That's my next like thing I have to get rid of is it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. That's kind of my, my like segue. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to jump into that. Yep. Yeah. So you kind of go through those ebbs and flows and, but the, the good news is most of it's been positive. I've only had like one or two of those days where it's been kind of in negative doom and gloom type attitude. Um, and I try not to show that too much, but uh, generally speaking, I think everybody's attitude has been really, really positive, which is really cool given a project of this size and given the deadlines that have been pushed upon the project. Um, so I think we're in a good place. I have to say, and I'll take this in a little bit of a different direction for me personally, just over the last 18 months, um, 12 months, really, as you know, like going through divorce and like having to get out and meet people and be more social. And I really didn't have to before. I just kind of like showed up and, 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 you know, like my ex had done a lot of the heavy lifting and I would just show up to places and do things like I have to say, it's interesting because it can be very, um, in the moment, this is the draw to what you're talking about. The project is that in the moment, uh, it can, you can feel very defeated or like, you know, my efforts aren't paying off or like, this is way too hard or it's not going to work. I don't see the end of the, the light at the end of the tunnel. And what I've learned in the last year, just with relationships of, of any type, is that you have to just remember to get back up and like the, that what you're experiencing in the moment is not um, a reflection of the effort that you put in. It's just a roadblock. And so it's really important not to read that the wrong way and be like, well, fuck it. We're just not going to hit this deadline. We might as well stop. Or it's like, okay, well, I don't know yet, but we're going to keep doing the things we've been doing. And all of a sudden you start seeing things fall into place and then the effort pays off. And eventually you come out of the dark, right? Boom. It happens. Not yeah. too different from solving a problem in the in the software development world right you're in the yeah. in the weeds and you're having trouble and you're frustrated and whatever and then you take a step away from the desk go on a little walk come back and boom you can solve it in like that's it a few minutes you get back up and you keep um yeah. doing what you do yeah right on man well that's exciting i know you don't have a lot of time left on that it's coming to an end here soon we are i think 14 days away from launching Ooh. to the first set of users wow. so wow. a lot of stuff to do in 14 days Who's counting? It's gonna be a it's gonna be a, a race for sure. Wow. So, well, welcome back, man. This is uh, we missed last week, but you know what's good? What's good news about missing last week is that gave me two weeks of time to collect Tesla news. Oh fuck! Are you kidding me, man? Ah, <laughs> uh, of course it did. Well, there's been a lot in the news probably with those guys lately. Well, I've got some personal news. So we brought the car in. Oh, you did? Yeah, so it's getting repaired now because I, I had the accident with it. I backed into somebody. So now it's getting repaired. So it'll look all nice and shiny again. So I'm excited for that. Excellent. Um, but the other thing that I had is I think a couple of episodes ago, I was kind of raving about the mobile Tesla repair service. 
Yeah, the roadside assistance kind of a thing, or they come to your house. Exactly. They come to your house and do some fixing, and, and they came in, and we had a number of different issues, and he was going to address them all, and everything was great. I was really excited about it. Well, come to f- we haven't heard from them since then. Hmm. And so he was indicating at the time of the service that it would be done, or at least we would be contacted back probably within a week or two. At this point, it's been two months. If I remember correctly, too, it was like little odds and ends, like the glove box latch or something yep. like that. That's right. Yeah. So few parts to be to be had but also like one of the things was the phone the mobile app you're supposed to be able to use their mobile app to open the car mm. uh based on bluetooth proximity and that sort of thing and and that has never worked so that was another thing that he was going to submit a ticket to like their software team because they figured that was like a something was fat fingered as they were putting our car into the system or something like that yeah so we were waiting on that and i've never gotten a response on that it still doesn't work we've never gotten a response on the parts none of that stuff has ever been um followed up on so the other day i went ahead and followed up with tesla chat on their support on their website and uh they had no record of any of it i mean they knew that the appointment happened but they had no record of any notes from the appointment like follow-up or items to address or parts being ordered or anything what that's kind of jacked up dude so not not so great there i'm not i'm giving some bad tesla news here but uh so she she basically told me you know you should hear something by midweek well what today's Wednesday? I haven't heard anything yet, mm-hmm. so still looking forward to hearing about where all that is. Not that we can do a lot with it because our car is going to be in the shop for two weeks, but still, bad Tesla news there. Yeah, that's disappointing because they're trying to ramp this thing up to scale, and if, and they're not doing really good with some of the small details here. It's it's yeah, it is disappointing because the service itself, like the the guy coming out, the appointment itself was great. If the follow up would have been the same type of follow through, I guess you might say, like then that appointment would have been a knock, you know, they would have knocked it out of the park. And I wonder if it was just um, irresponsibility on his part, like he was supposed to go back and put notes in but didn't, or if there was some kind of system failure where the notes didn't get uploaded, or that's interesting. What, yeah. What could have happened there? Right. So mm. we'll go ahead and blow through my other Tesla news here since we're on the topic. Do it, man. Just so do it. They released another software update, um, and this is nothing new. You know, most cars have kind of, um, what would you call it, a lane lane change assistance or like keeping you in your lane right or warning you if you're departing your lane yes. type of thing so they've implemented that now so um you can you can enable this or disable this um and it'll basically just warn you if you're deviating from the lane without using a signal mm-hmm. uh so that's number one and then the, the the cooler part is the secondary feature which is not enabled it is enabled by default and you can disable it per trip but it'll re-enable itself and what that feature is, is is the same feature, but if it detects a vehicle in the lane next to you that you're deviating to, or if it's, it detects that you're going to crash into something else, it's gonna it's either gonna stop you or steer you back into your lane automatically without any kind of engagement from you, right? So that's pretty cool. There was that video. Did you see that um, at collision avoidance that it did the other day? Is that the one where it like really swerved hard around yes. somebody who was pretty stopped? Yeah. yeah. So I read about that and, and it was interesting because there it is again. It was interesting. Uh, <laughs> You'll get it. <laughs> uh, the, the guy, the, the comments, I think I saw this on Reddit. The comments were wondering whether or not it was actually the user or the driver yeah. that, that did that or if it was the software. And I don't think there was a conclusion. Although most people said like, the instinct of the driver would not be to swerve into another lane in that scenario. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And the cool thing about that, I just thought was that the car, if it was definitely automated, the car already had knowledge that it was safe to go. I think a lot of times if you or I did that, we might not even have time to look, we would just react and you would go into somebody else or something could happen. Yeah. It was very bang, bang, right? He was driving down the road and, and all of a sudden, I don't remember if somebody peeled out of his way or something and revealed somebody at a, a total stop. And so it was either run into the back of that car or deviate lanes. Uh, and, and the car pretty heavily swerved. I'm, I'm kind of surprised about the, the dramatic swerve effect it that it had. But moved him into the other lane and, and then went around uh, and pulled over to the shoulder and, and made it through the collision. I think he did get rear-ended. But uh, I'll, link, I'll link this up in the show notes. Yeah, put if, it in there. Because the, the interesting part as well, and I think this is... Uh, standard procedure is that the car after that pulls over to the shoulder and stops right and turns on the hazards yep 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 yeah pretty cool stuff so So pretty neat more updates uh to come obviously uh there's tesla financials that are not 
you know, deemed to be so great right now, but that's, uh, that's boring. We don't want to talk about that. Yeah. The earnings and all that bullshit. Yeah. 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 I know. I still feel very strongly about them, but I understand investors. There's always been a contingency that have been against them and shorting the stock and that sort of thing. And it seems like what I'm hearing is that some of the investors now are just think he's that he's way too ambitious, but I would also say this is nothing new. This has been part of the history <laughs> of the company since the beginning, right? So. Yeah. And you, you don't ever, it's a whole like CEO mentality. You don't ever, CEOs have to be a little bit crazy. If you don't, if you're not crazy, you're not coming up with something that's new, right? Correct. You always have to have a bit of, a bit of craziness in you to, to be a CEO, of, especially of something of that nature where you're disrupting industries that much, right? It's the blessing and curse of, of Elon Musk, but also <laughs> SpaceX look where it is today from where it was. And that didn't happen out of just being normal. Right. So one yeah. other little piece of follow-up I had here that I added to the show notes. I saw this just as a headline. Okay. As I was uh, scrolling through Twitter in the evening. And uh, it says that uh, Samsung, remember we talked about foldable technology? We talked about the foldable phones. There's a couple of them out there. Samsung and Huawei or Huawei. Samsung Fold, right? That's the one that we talked about in this case. Uh, they are saying they will cancel the Galaxy Fold orders if it doesn't ship this month. Really? And they're the ones, if I'm not mistaken, that have the screen problems right now. That's the one that, yeah, that's the one that we commented on. Yeah, that has the, that's been in the news a lot about, about the screen problems. Yeah. They're cracking or breaking and. Yeah. yeah. It says Samsung will cancel all orders for the Galaxy Fold if it has not shipped the device by May 31st. Uh, yeah. So. There you go. We, we, I was basically one that said that, like, I don't think this technology is ready to be out there. Uh, you even said it was kind of gimmicky, at least uh, pretty gimmicky for shot for this kind of thing. Yeah. So for the price, too. I mean, for two grand, uh, I kind of expect a little bit more. I just don't know how I feel about spending two thousand dollars on a foldable device at this point. Samsung said it will be taking measures to strengthen the display in light of reported issues. That's good. I wonder if they're, that's supposed to be like uh, Gorilla Glass. Are they working with Corning on that? I wonder how that's going, what they're doing. It is interesting. I have, <laughs> you hear about like this stuff like called foldable glass, and you're yeah. just like, how in the hell does that happen, right? Well, I, I watched a YouTube video that Corning did on some of their newer versions of the Gorilla Glass, and it's fucking incredible like how much flex they get into this thing before it actually breaks. Really cool. Yeah. Interesting, man. Okay, well, we'll see what happens. We'll report back on that. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, it does say that, uh, nope, that's just an update about Samsung notifying their customers. No update. So that's all I got for uh, show follow-up, show news. Well, I think we should jump into the main topic, huh? Let's do it. Microsoft build 2019 at a Washington State Convention Center, dude. So for those that may not be familiar, what is Build? Well, I, I don't know if I can answer that correctly either because there's a few different things that go on. Like they do VS Live, Visual Studio Live, which is definitely like the coding conference. Build is a little bit more dynamic than that. I mean, it's, it covers a lot of different areas, right? It's still heavily geared towards developers, but you also have like DevOps and then you have IoT, Internet of Things. Like there's a lot of different categories. And I think that's true of most of their conferences. I went to Ignite last year. I think we talked about it on the show. Um, same thing. You know, there was some, some dev track, some DevOps track, some, business, some management type business -y track. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of everything at these conferences. They're, they're trying to, to make it more uh, widespread than just specifically developers. But I think this one is more focused generally on the developer. Yeah, and I thought there were a few things that were really cool that I liked from the outset. It's been a while since I've been to a developer conference. In fact, the last time I was Visual Studio Live 2012, before I came back to Seattle. So that's when I saw you. And that was in Redmond, and um, it's changed a lot since then. I guess that's all I can really say about it. And, it, and it's pretty cool. Like, the, the there's a new... They have a one thing that I love is that there's an emphasis now for students. And so they have a whole students lab or like a whole thing where you can bring students onto the show, uh, onto the um, uh, to the conference. And they're getting kids like that are what, like 12 years old and up into Internet of Things and like working with hardware and doing labs to figure out how to build games and, and, and write code and 
So there was a lot of that activity, which was very cool to see. And I hadn't seen that before. So I don't know how long they've been doing that, but it was really encouraging to see that. It is crazy to see how how young kids can come in and, and be productive uh, coders, right? Yeah. Like it, it, you can get kids that are 13 that have just as much coding experience in some cases as guys that have been in the industry for yeah, they're doing huge things. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're coming up with glucose monitors and all kinds of crazy stuff. It's just really amazing to me um, what people are doing with the new technology. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, is that there's never been a time before where you could do so much with what's existing. Like with the, the, the tool sets that are available now, you couldn't even imagine that 10 years ago or 15 years ago or be before that. Um, and now with even little to no coding experience, you can build apps, you can, um, you know, communicate with hardware, you can make smart devices. It's just pretty amazing what you can do with, um, out of the box. That's the thing is I think like, uh, oh, I think that the, the Azure cloud being able to, to do all the services for you, uh, makes it so convenient and easy for, uh, you to be able to stand up anything really, really quickly because you can you don't have to worry about any infrastructure. All you got to do is stand up a few services here and there, uh, and then wire them together in any way that you need to do. So, like the uh, much of the the work that you used to have to do as a developer, setting up IIS, setting up your server, setting up this and that, and everything else, or finding a service that can handle this piece of the pie, has been taken away and yeah. is is more or less like a simple. Enter a few fields, you know, give this thing a name, give this thing some some permissions and so forth and create it. And then it's immediately able to be connected to by any code. Yep. Um, and, and that's extremely valuable. And the, the people that can leverage those types of tools can build things extremely quickly, which we've seen even in the projects that we're working on right now. Like we can stand up things at incredible at an incredible pace, uh, assuming there's no you know bottlenecks in the way. So it's, it's pretty exciting. And I, th I think, like, I, like you said, like even somebody as young as, uh, you know, 13 or something that understands coding languages and can spin something up in Azure can build something pretty, pretty cool pretty quickly. Yeah, I have to agree. It was fun to see what was being um, uh, presented by, by students. And it was fun to see what technologies were being unveiled. The, there's a real big emphasis right now on um, removing pain points from developers and so that was pretty evident at this uh, at this conference in a lot of different ways. Just I, I've, I've heard the phrase like no code like more times than I've ever heard before. If it was a drinking game, I would have been on the floor, you know, but by lunchtime. I mean, it was just every presentation, everything they talked about was here. You can get into machine learning with no code here. You can get into cognitive services with no code. And here you can um, learn how to build your first dot net app with no code. And so super cool just to see what they've done to really take a lot of the underlying crap out of the way. Because when you and I got started back in what .NET uh, 2, you know, uh, the early days back in the, um, you know, mid 2000s there, and so much time was spent on infrastructure and configuration yep. that it took you days just to get a basic application up and running in a lot of cases. Yeah, so I, I don't know how much time I've spent uh, configuring IIS, right? That's the, the server that Microsoft runs everything through in terms of web services. So like, I don't know how many times I've, I've spent time configuring, you know, tr setting up permissions, trying to get directories to work, trying to get, um, what did they call those things? Um, the, the services that the apps run under, I can't remember, app pools, app pools, all that kind of stupid shit. Like, I don't know how much time I spent configuring that instead of writing code. So like, like I said earlier, like the, the fact that you don't have to worry about any of the infrastructure, you just give it a name and you spin it up and Azure manages all of that, that gives you a tremendous advantage. Um, and yeah, the, it's interesting though that you say that everything or everything is no code because at, at the Ignite conference, which was what, a year ago, everything was as code, right? So it's configuration as code, deployments as code, you know, all this stuff was like a version of code, but it was kind of pseudo code, I guess you might say. Yep. You know, the big thing we were talking about earlier before we got interrupted was just the how they're bringing in people uh, so much younger now. So they have a whole student lab for people that are, you know, preteen almost now are showing up and, and learning how to get their hands on hardware and, and learn how to code. Um, very cool. Just like bringing up the community from a young, young age. Um, on top of that, so many opportunities to do things without code. And it used to be all about the code. And now, um, whether it's 
AI or machine learning or it's um, hardware. There's so many things you can do without even having to know .NET code. And so really an exciting time for the for tech, exciting time for the community. Um, I will add on top of that, um, like the change since Satya Nadella took over uh, as CEO has really radically changed the landscape at Microsoft. And I can't tell you how many people were on here on Twitter saying, I don't know how to say this, but Microsoft is cool. <laughs> well, they started, they've done a lot of really awesome things. They started with uh, simple things like creating out, creating VS code, which yes. is, which is rapidly becoming a, a really well respected editor for code. Huge. Not only for the Microsoft community, but for other communities because they support any language really. Cross language, cross platform. You can install it on your Mac. You can install it on Linux. You can install it on Windows. You can write Python. You can write Java. So there's a lot of things you can do with this tool. I mean, it really is about uh, the people. And that was the big emphasis that I got from the keynote is that Satya even said, like, we are people centric now. It's not about um, having a wall around our software and trying to be the best in a box. Like, we're about like m meeting people where they're at. And if it's on a Mac, then we're going to be the best experience on the Mac. And if it's on Linux, we want to be the best experience on Linux. And they're really doing a lot to make that happen. And that's something that I definitely appreciate. Everything that they've been doing uh, has been more more open ecosystem, more cross-platform availability, putting everything on GitHub, open sourcing everything, yeah. adding you know Linux compatibility onto the OS. Like They've just been opening it up and, and bringing in, in everything and embracing everyone. Uh, and it's it's paying off in huge ways. In fact... I was just uh, talking to some people the other day and I was like, I don't, I don't know if you were at Microsoft currently, like why you would want to leave. I mean, I know obviously there's inter intercompany politics and all that kind of thing, but the company is doing so many things well and doing so many positive, productive things. I think that, that the, the company, it's already become what the first, what was it? Billion, trillion, trillion sorry, yeah. yeah. Trillion dollar company. And they, I, don't, I don't see them going anywhere but continuing up. Yeah, they surpassed Apple last month, I believe, in terms of total like market cap. And so they've done very well for themselves. Um, like I mentioned earlier, like the work they've done on the AI side and the ML side of things, have, they're surpassing a Amazon cloud. And, then, and Amazon had a 10-year start, right, at, at least. So it just goes to show like when you get the right people focusing on the right things, like what you can do. And there's a lot of momentum right now on the cloud. They're doing some great things. So really enjoyed it. And, that, and at a very high level... We talked a little bit just about how they're they're trying to reach people where they develop. Um, so many cool things have, have come out. I don't even know where to start. I'm, I mean, um, they. I think the open source piece is the first thing I want to talk about because um, what what's happened is that you know back in Balmer days it was like we, we're not we're going to be closed source and we're going to own all of our shit and we're going to build the best software, but you got to get it through our paywall or whatever and we're not going to share that with you and and as a result of opening up so many things like calculator was like the first app that was installed on windows that was open sourced and they've done other things since then but now what's happening is that you've got almost as many um community uh commits and contributions as you do from people internally so you've got a a, a army of people now that are working outside of microsoft for free to enhance your products and I mean, talk about momentum, like they're, they're able to deliver things quicker than they ever had before. It's just, it's just fun to watch. I think it's worth, uh, elaborating on that a little bit. So when he says like commits from the community, uh, in terms of software, what that means is that you're basically committing code to a public repository. So a public place where you can submit code and say, Hey, Microsoft, I've created this code that does X, Y, Z. Would you like to incorporate this into your product? And they can say, sure. I would like to bring that in. That fixes a problem that we have, or that's a cool feature that we would like to add. And they'll, they'll incorporate a change from a non-Microsoft employee into software that is a, a corporate piece of software, which is, is pretty amazing on its surface because like anybody can contribute a bug fix. So uh, it's, a, it's a pretty cool time to be in, in the Microsoft technology stack. And um, kind of towards that same token, they just acquired github which is probably the biggest set of code repositories that there is uh in the world number one i mean number one everybody that does anything with code is using github and so yeah it's a massive repository and they they purchased that company and and they've 
the really cool announcement that came out of that now too is that, and this is more of a, a geeky kind of a thing that may not um, resonate with a lot of folks, but you can now use your GitHub um, ID to authenticate onto Azure services. And so they have integrated this thing where, you know, um, if you're used to keeping your code over here, but you want to work with Microsoft stuff, you don't have to have a separate account. You can just link up and, and get to work. And so that's super cool too. And um, yeah, they talked about it over and over again, just how much the community has really helped accelerate the development over at Microsoft. Because now we're, if you had a product team of maybe, let's just say you had a product team of, you know, whatever the finite resource is, 20 guys, 50 guys, doesn't matter. But you have 50 guys or 100 guys in the community that are contributing to some of these bugs. Now you're freed up to work on new product features. And so you can really release at a much more uh, rapid cadence than you could before. I think it's, I'm not going to say it. It's not interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you caught yourself that time. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people would think in their minds, especially not in the software industry, is why would I want to contribute to something that I'm not being paid for, right? Why wouldn't yeah. I go to Microsoft and get paid for this, right? But it happens all the time. In the software community, you run into these issues that, that are on platforms that are supported by Microsoft or by any other company. Um, and let's say they, they happen to open source or give this, the repos available to anybody to submit code to, you're able to effectively unblock yourself. Right. Whereas, whereas before you would wait months, years for a fix from the actual corporation. Whereas now you can say like, well, I have this problem. I'm going to go into the bits of this piece of software that you've written and I'm now going to go ahead and fix that for you and not wait for the you know release three years down the road or something like that that fixes it. Yeah, exactly. You you are empowered now to customize, build things that you want and share them with the community. And I think it's a little bit of a resume builder. Absolutely. Because now um, instead of just trying to, if you want to work at Microsoft or if you want to be on a particular team in the past, you had to kind of prove your worth. Well, a lot of these guys now are contributors. They actually acknowledged, um, I don't remember what the project was. It was one of the open source projects, but on the center stage, they had acknowledged the top three open source contributors. And these guys are well known within Microsoft as being um, heavy lifters on some of these products. And that's just a pretty cool thing. But, you know, who knows where, where that could go in the future? Job offers, um, networking, that sort of thing. So it's kind of a neat way to build your resume, too. I can tell you from my wife's perspective as a recruiter, one of the first things she's going to do is go pull up your GitHub. And see what you got. Yep. If you don't contribute, then you you know you might might not be, might, you might be frowned upon. Uh, same thing for me. Like uh, these candidates come in, and and a lot of times what they'll do is they'll submit a code sample for us, or we'll have them create a small code project. Uh, what they'll do a lot of times is submit it to their GitHub account and say, "Here you go. You can go download it and and run it from here, and and it'll work." Uh, so a lot of times what I'll do is I'll go look at that project. Great, but then I'll go look at their account and see what else they've contributed to and what other code projects they've done. So I, I would say you're definitely dead on the money. Like they, it's it's very useful in terms of your resume and your job, um, and looking for future positions. That's really cool. And I, I got to tell you, I had a, a fun conversation with a couple of engineers this morning uh, in the open source booth. So they were talking about how Calculator was one of the first Windows um, window. It shipped with Windows, and it's open source. And the guys were saying, look, you know, we're trying to get more developers into the open source community. And they were asking me, like, what do you do? Uh, I said, I, I'm a full stack developer. I kind of went through the spiel. And, and they said, well, have you gotten into open source? I said, you know, I've, I've dipped my toe into the water, but I haven't really been a regular contributor. And they were kind of curious. Why not? And I think there's a stigma. I think for some of us, it's I said, one, it's imposter syndrome stuff. I'm sure like that's how I feel is that like I I'm familiar with the products that I work on at work. But for me to go into a foreign code base with people that I don't know, is a, it's quite intimidating, right? And I'm not sure that I'm being helpful either. Like, yeah, I know it looks good to do it, but is it helpful? And it was fun. We talked for about 15, 20 minutes, and they walked me through some stuff. And they said, look, there's a ton of stuff going on here, and we want more people like you to come on and make contributions. And it's a very friendly community. It's a very uh, welcoming community, and, and you're going to get a lot of – insights and feedback when you make a contribution and so they even had some ideas on what i could try as being a noob in the open source community to to do to make a contribution and then spiral out from there so it was really fun to see like how much they've shifted and now they embrace and really are recruiting people to come on and and try to help solve problems that they have on on these projects 
I think that's awesome. I'm in the same boat as you. I'm all, I'm very, uh, I don't know, apprehensive about trying to submit pull requests in in public repositories, especially for large projects like that. Same same kind of qualms like, what can I contribute to this? Right, that other people, you know, there's so many people out there. There's so many devs. Kind of the same thing like we talked about, you know, in the management thing. Like I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm the best dev there is on the in the world. Right. Right. There are so many people that can do so much more than me, so much more quickly. So, like, what am I going to be able to contribute here? Right. That's kind of the attitude. But the fact is, you probably can contribute in some way if you, if you really so choose. It's just a matter of getting over that kind of, that hump of of being afraid to do so. Well, the guy I talked to today had a really cool story as well. He said, "Look, you know, four years ago I was uh, brand new at open source, and I was trying to work on some project, and I needed some library, but it was only available in Python, and so." I got into, I don't know Python, I'm not a Python coder, but I went over there and I, you know, got into it a little bit and, and figured out, like, I really needed this thing, but it didn't have all the features that I needed, and so I really wanted to have this, like, status bar, but it wasn't available. He's like, so I figured it out, I don't know if it took me a few days or whatever it was, but he figured out how to do it, and he actually got it working and then submitted it to the community, and um, they were like, dude, this is fucking awesome, like, we really needed this, thanks for helping us out with that, and Here's a guy that was really timid, was like, I don't know if I should even do this, but saw a need, put it together, sent it back, and all of a sudden, like, now he's been doing it for four years, so it's pretty cool. And now he has a function, like a piece of a, a major piece of software that he can say, like, I did that. Yeah, I contributed to this project, and it's out there, and everybody's using it now. Yeah, so. and that's pretty cool and powerful. Yeah. Which you could never do before. No, it wasn't possible before. There was a closed wall, and so it's definitely a better together kind of a thing, and it's fun to see like how much everybody wins when you all come together to work towards these solutions. So I was super encouraged to see like what was happening at the community level at Microsoft. Um, super encouraged to see what they were doing to bring like students up into the fold. And then, I mean, we haven't even scratched the surface and we're almost through the damn thing today. Like, so can I take a quick aside here? Just, yeah. Just one quick note that I think is uh, like, if you think of like Apple, right? who we both love. We have, I don't know how many Apple products, five Apple products sitting on this table. Right. Like clearly we love that company, but talk about a stark contrast, right? Closed ecosystem, closed code base, closed uh, app system. Like everything is closed. Walled garden. Um, their hardware, their software. Yeah, exactly. And you look at Apple and you don't necessarily see them doing like crazy, innovative, innovative, awesome things. Yes, the iPhone is great. Yes, the Apple Watch is great. Yes, the iPod is great but they've been great for a while yeah they've, they're not doing some these crazy new additions whereas microsoft is like pivoting quickly and fast uh and i i think we've talked about this before but like i have some concerns about apple i guess they're cash flush like they make a lot of money but they're not innovating at the rate that they used to innovate yes i know that there's like the the, the problem of they've done a lot of the things already so like where do you go from here but the thing is, like, Microsoft is not only building hardware now. Like, uh, my laptop here is a piece of Microsoft hardware. It's actually a very beautiful laptop. Surface, Surface Pro Laptop 2, I think is what it's called. Mm -hmm. Rivals, you know, probably what the MacBook is, right? It's a pretty nice piece of hardware. And they built it. So they built the software. They built the hardware. But you know what? They're both, the, the software is open. They'll let you install whatever the hell you want. They don't care. Right. So like they're doing all the right things. I, I think they're moving in a very positive direction and they have their own cloud, which I think is a huge win for them as well. Right. Apple does not have that. Or if they do, they don't expose it to other people. They're not building it, to, you know, to be such a large scale cloud to support the world as like Google, Apple and Amazon. Um, and so I think that's going to become a detriment to them. And I think Microsoft is in a very positive position, which is why I was saying earlier like the people that work for Microsoft, I think they have nowhere to go but up. And I think it's a great place to be at the current moment. And they've they've done a total 180 pivot. How quickly? Like from being walled off, like only our stuff, to now we embrace everybody's stuff and we want to be where everybody's at. They've done that in only a few years. I um, worked for Microsoft uh, when I first met Christina. So right. probably s eight years. That's right. Something like that ago. And that was during the Balmer days. And it was not exciting. I can tell you that. It was very stale, very stuffy, very boring. Um, Old school kind of mentality. It felt that way. I mean, I can't say like I worked there for a long time and I had a yeah. lot of experience and that sort of thing. But the, the area that I worked in and the people that I worked with, 
guess they were excited about the, the particular project that we worked on because it was kind of cool at the time. Um, but it felt very stuffy, very corporate, very not exciting. Um, whereas now I feel like they're just iterating. They have a lot of very cool, talented people that are interesting to listen to, interesting to follow. Um, that was one of the things I think that was interesting about the conference. There it is again. Um, at Ignite was that there was these people that not only are great personalities, but they're also in, extremely intelligent and, and um, well-versed in the technologies that they're, they're working with and building. So, you know, you have the, the typical people like Scott Gu and Hanselman and all those kind of people that, that are there all the time, right? They've been around forever, but now there's these like new... I think of the DevOps, I can't think of her name, I'll have to look it up and put it in the show notes, but there's a gal that does DevOps, she's super tatted up, big CrossFitter, like super like out of the norm for the software industry, right? And she's up there like giving all the the awesome stuff that you can do with DevOps and, and it's cool to see like fresh blood, uh, different people and, and they're doing a, a lot with diversity too. Tons. I saw that in the presentations, like to your point that there was, um, you know, even though there was still a majority of men in the in attendance, like when you saw the presentations, I felt like there was more diversity than I've ever seen before. And you had all types, all ages. It was super cool. And and everybody like brought their A game and, and made it really fun and interesting. So we got different races, different genders, yeah, different ages. Yep. All represented in one conference, all going and doing the same things, working with the same technologies. It's exciting. That's awesome. That's, no, what we, that's what we strive for. They've turned it on their on, on its head, and it's been really cool to see the evolution happen there. I mean, it's very different than where it was just a few years ago. And um, we had and all this cool stuff, and we haven't even talked about the technology, <laughs> which is kind of neat. I'm kind of glad it worked out that way. I didn't know that we were going to go this route, but it was that is the highlight of the show, I think, because it's a show that these guys recognized that, hey, the way that we were doing things wasn't going to be sustainable and we can we can take the lead on the future. And they've done a great job with that so far. This is going to be a five-part series on the Build Conference, by the way. It could be. I mean, we could go long. I don't know what we want to do. Do we want to go long? Do we want to just cap it? I, I mean, I'm feeling good, but... Feeling good. Well, then we might have to go get some more beers. Yeah, we should. Have, we probably should get a couple more beers at some point. Yeah. Um. Let's move on from the, the conference, kind of the meta of the conference, right? Yeah, that's what it was, yep. Yeah. So what do you want to talk about next here? There's a lot on this on the show notes. What are you, what are you most excited about? Like when you came out of the conference, oh, I almost knocked my beer over again. Careful, buddy. When you came out of the conference, like if you were to like, if I was to say, what was the one thing that like sticks in your head and you're really, really excited about, what was it? It's really impossible to just pick one thing. It, I know that's silly to say but i can't because there was just so many things there's a fire hose of things um but i think going along with what we talked about one of the interesting things was like two i can think of two right now that kind of speak to this where we want to embrace everybody wherever you're at kind of mentality and the one that we all know a little bit about is how internet explorer is going to be no longer it's going to be internet it's going to be edge on chromium which is huge because now you're running Internet Explorer um, on on a Google platform, which is fucking crazy to even think like a few years ago that we'd be saying that we're going to be running on Google, you know, is mind blowing to me. So um, for sure that that's been the big announcement. You can run the next version of Internet Explorer is going to run on Mac. It's going to run on Linux. It's going to run on whatever. There again, you're like bringing in everybody right you're bringing in third parties you're you're writing software to be cross-platform and they want to address um developer pain points like it was painful as a developer when you and i were doing this back in 2006 and we had to make sure it worked for netscape well not netscape but like netscape Fire, how old are you man 2001 maybe <laughs> 2001 but like you know firefox and then um, internet explorer different versions like even ie like four five six seven eight like all of those had different variations yeah ie6 was the bane of everybody every web developers it, well ie6 five four yeah. Yeah. all those uh versions were the bane of every developer's existence because they didn't follow uh con proper conventions you know standards that were set forth yeah they were violating a lot of them not fixing a lot of them and that's why everybody moved to firefox chrome Etc. So they're they're finally now. I feel like in 2019 we've gotten to this point where it's like, okay, you know what? We're going to try to ease the developer pain points a little bit more here and make it a 
um, a better world and one where, and not only for developers, but for users. I mean, user experience would suck. Like there's some uh, healthcare that we are both, you know, in, uh, entrenched in for a lot of years um, is very old school and they're very slow to catch on to new trends. And so it's not uncommon that, you know, maybe Chrome, new a newer version of Chrome is out, but you can't run your payroll software, your HR software, unless it's on a version of Internet Explorer. And usually a very dated one. Very old, yeah. insecure, lots of problems. And so now moving to Chromium, they've guaranteed backward compatibility with IE. There's IE mode, but you don't have to get a new browser. You don't have to download another thing or try to figure out how to make it work. All you have to do is get the latest browser. And for those applications, they will work in a compatible mode. So that was a pretty big deal that got a lot of traction there as well. I would imagine got a lot of, uh, a lot of hand clapping going on for that particular feature, right? Um, yep. uh, you brought that up and, and the thing that immediately came to my mind is like, we work in the insurance industry. So, uh, we work with some pretty big name companies and the product that I'm working on that we need to deliver here in 12 or whatever days, uh, same problem. We have agencies that require their agents to use internet Explorer. And, uh, to be honest with you, I don't know that we've tested it in that. So I better make a note. <laughs> that'll be a follow-up before the deployment yeah uh, let's see what happens i might have to put you on that in the bug bash a couple weeks from here well i'm due i owe you some stuff so add it to my plate i don't care all right um, I'm, uh, so i'm excited about that so the idea is that edge will now become a chromium browser so it'll basically be a microsoft wrapper around kind of the uh, the chrome engine mm -hmm. if you will that's right like you you have the best people making the best experience in the back end work but you have a little bit of a Microsoft flair up front. So it even has like the Explorer icon and it's got some customizations for Microsoft that are really nice, but it also relies on the best backend uh, browser. I'll be interested to see how this goes because the thing is like they have, they're adding some other features that a lot of people use in Chrome for, I think they're adding some ad blocking by default. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So there's some things that, that uh, I think will be attractive in some ways, but the, they have an uphill battle. They've they've been always perceived as the shitty browser, the the dated browser, the that's the problem, the old crusty browser, right? So they they need to get past that, and that's going to be extremely hard for them to get anywhere close to 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 regaining some um, respect in the browser industry. Um, so it's going to be very difficult, very hard, very uphill battle. Uh, I hope they can do it. I'll give them a shot. And, uh, you know, when Firefox released uh, whatever Quantum or whatever their last version was, I gave them a shot. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in seeing the next thing. But the other thing they have to realize, too, is it has to have some interplay with, like, things that already exist. So, like, I have, I use Safari here. I use Chrome on my desktop at work. Okay. Um, so I have a mix. But I need things to be able to, like, sync across. So I better be able to have, like, my bookmarks, like, in real time sync across them for me to, like, want to make the jump, right? Because I'm not going to guarantee that, that I'm going to use Edge 100% of the time. Well, I think that's interesting because I think what that's what they want to go for. And they're hoping that maybe you can get to a place where, like, there's one browser. But who knows? Safari is not going to give up on that promise. So you're right. You're going to have to have this intermediate layer of synchronization and that sort of thing. But for sure, you kind of knock one of the big guys out and i think i don't know how it works with chrome like but if you have chrome and you have edge it should be pretty damn seamless like i don't know if it's intuitive enough to grab from one or the other but now you're running on the same software it would really depend on what microsoft's wrapper is doing yeah like in theory the guts can't handle all the same things right but what it does microsoft expose all of those things that would be the that would be the question so I wish them luck. I think it's exciting. I think it's a good move for them to try and get back in the browser business. Yep. But I think it's going to be a very difficult thing for them to achieve. There's just a bad, such a bad taste in everybody's mouth from that browser. Other than, you know, people that buy a computer off the shelf and like that's the thing that's already on it. So I'll use it. Right. Correct. No, I agree with you. I think there's some concerns there. We'll have to see how it plays out. It's very exciting. The Pieces I've seen so far look great, and we're moving in the right direction. Um, moving on, there's one other one I want to talk about because it's kind of the similar theme of, of, of working together and bringing the best people together. 
and this got a lot of talk time as well. And I'm not as familiar with this this product line, but Kubernetes is kind of a big buzzword now, um, which is like what container management. So if you're doing Docker and that sort of thing. Right. So if you're not familiar with this, uh, containers is kind of a way that you can package up code to be deployed onto multiple systems. So it doesn't, it's, it's agnostic of what software you're running it on. So you could run it on Linux, you could run it on Windows, or at least that's ideal. Uh, and what Kubernetes is, is Kubernetes is an orchestrator of those containers. So it's, it gets back to what we said earlier in the beginning of the show of where like back in the day, a, a developer would have to go through a lot of steps just before they could even, a lot of prerequisite work had to happen before you could write code. Well, Kubernetes solves that problem too. It says, look, you know, like you shouldn't have to spend your time trying to configure servers and, and tune all these things. Do it once and then you have a little template and then boom, you can like apply that again and again and again. Um, so the interesting news out of this one was a collaboration between Microsoft and Red Hat, which is fucking crazy because that's a Linux uh, group. You got competitors basically. Working together now. Right. Yeah. You had Google and Microsoft working together on on edge browser and now you've got red hat and microsoft working together on this um they're calling it keda k-e-d-a which is a uh, acronym for kubernetes based event driven auto scaling and so it's a mouthful but essentially what they're trying to do is make it easier for folks who are using containers to, to auto scale um in kubernetes so if if you have your code in a container and you're using Kubernetes and it's a little more config heavy to get it to work, um, let's say you had a big spike in traffic. Well, shit, it's going to be really maybe a little bit more work to configure how it should scale that out. Um, this is basically uh, a simplified way to get your your Kubernetes to scale based on certain events. And I don't I don't understand a lot of the inner workings of this, but it was a pretty big deal. Um, just because of the partnership for one. And I think too, is that it's not just something that works for Microsoft. It's something that because it's a collaboration, you can use this, um, totally aside from Azure Kubernetes services. You can use this on OpenShift, which is like Red Hat's platform too. So they're doing a lot of work. The point of this is that they're doing a lot of work with other platforms and companies that are not Microsoft and not PC to make sure that everybody has a good experience. Yeah. It's a little bit of a theme from from the conference so did did they talk a little bit about helm as well is helm because when i was at ignite i remember there being a lot of talk about the same type of thing like auto scaling or at least in your kubernetes cluster saying like i can set up i can scale up to this many instances or something like that and it would handle that it seemed like it would handle that pretty easily maybe that was something that helm took care of um but i'm curious as to as to if you got any details about that i don't have anything to say about that i i didn't I'll say this, I was very biased in which presentations I went to. So aside from the keynote and some of the big big hitters up front, uh, most of my stuff was more just about general like full stack development and a little bit on the machine learning side. So I didn't cover much of that. They may have talked about it. I didn't get any of that though. So we'll have to look and see and follow up on that. Fair enough. Uh, Kubernetes, Helm, and, and Docker containers is something that as we embarked on the idea of, of the project that I work on and that I manage we were very interested in using, but unfortunately due to the deadlines and the pressure that was put upon completion of the project, we weren't able to kind of go down that road and, and really research and invest the time that was needed to containerize everything. So maybe post-launch, post, post launch, maybe that's something that I want to come back and address because I definitely want to learn that, that, that technology and obviously that's the way the industry is going as a whole. Like everything is Docker, Kubernetes and and uh, container, you know, containers of some type, and, and Kubernetes or some orchestrator to to handle that. Right. So definitely want to get my head around that, um, and and would love to know more details about what they were talking about at Build. Cool. Uh, that's all really good stuff, man. What do we want to do? Do we want to go a little bit more? Or I don't know how far we should go. Yeah, I would say give us uh, maybe have maybe have one more uh, really cool item. We can get into maybe one one more topic here. One more release announcement. I feel like it's so much in the weeds, but it's really important stuff for developers to know about. So I apologize if it's a little dry for our regular listeners who we talk about more tech news and events. But um, there's just so much that came out of this thing. I think, um, you know, certainly we could talk about just Azure, that whole landscape and how much it's growing right now. 
Um, there was some really cool stuff with um, Windows subsystem for Linux that came out. Mobile development. Um, HoloLens. I mean, I, I'm really interested kind of in .NET development a little bit. I'm, I, I kind of want to talk about that, but I'm not sure how much that's going to appeal to our to our group. Um, but I think there's some big stuff that's happening there, too. Maybe we uh, maybe we have another episode that is uh, specifically to some code-related stuff, some more technical deep dive. Sure. If you're interested in that, maybe we can make that happen. Well, t- I think... I, go t- ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, we can, that, that's a good point. And so what I think we could talk about is maybe some more of the cognitive services because that's something that I think has mass appeal and you don't have to really get into the weeds to understand what they're trying to do. And it's pretty cool shit. Yeah. So when we as a company elected to go to the Azure cloud, you know, we had competitive offers from Amazon and, and, and Microsoft to lure us, if you will, onto the platforms. Um, and we ended up electing Microsoft, not because they were maybe the, the clear winner, in the space, um, but because they were growing and, and growing at a rapid rate, and obviously because most of our stack currently was on Microsoft technology. Yeah, all the knowledge base that we had at the company at the time was really in their framework and their development tools. So yep. it made sense to stick with that instead of retrain everybody. And so they used that as a, as a crutch, I think, initially to get people on their platform and to get people into their cloud. But I think they're proving to be a very capable cloud very, very rapidly, like... I know some people here might disagree with that, but generally speaking, in terms of like AWS being like the gold standard, they're they're rapidly catching up. Let me tell you about this. This is very interesting. So there's a piece of the cognitive services that Azure offers called Luis, language um, understanding uh, a service, basically. And what that entails, sounds like a lot of mumbo jumbo, but I'll, I'll simplify it for you. They had a very cool demo where you had Microsoft Word open on eight screens, eight different computers. Let's just imagine it's eight people in different parts of the world. You had someone in China, you had someone in Thailand, you had someone in Mexico and somebody in the U.S. and a few other places. And so, all editing the same doc? Yeah, they're all working together on a collaboration. Okay. So the Word doc is open and they're trying to communicate between offices. And so I'm writing in English whatever I'm trying to talk about and I'm typing some things out. And simultaneously on every other screen, it's translating to that native language in real time. So it's like... As soon as I change one character or one word, everybody gets the updated word. It's not like spinning or taking a few minutes. And so this is this is part of their new AI, um, the models that they've built to do language translation in real time. And it's phenomenal what they can do with the with the power of the cloud. I mean, you you send um, literally like no latency between between destinations that are thousands of miles away. And you think about the work that is happening underneath the covers to make that occur. Because not only does it have to, like, it's not as simple as like, oh, they typed the word, you know, I don't know, again, right? Send that to a server somewhere, process what that word is, switch it to some other language. It's not that simple because it has to be taken in context of the sentence that it's being written against. Right. So it has to, <laughs> it has to do that. And then other languages treat those types of things differently. So like there's a ton of work that happens behind the scenes during that thing. But to you, it's like so damn fast that it, it seems like it's in real time. That's crazy. Yeah, it's insane what's going on behind the scenes to make that happen. I would say also there was another cool thing that they demonstrated there too, which was some of their speech services. They have a new, um, some new releases there with a neural speech to text and text to speech. And so this is very good for uh, transcription, right? Um, you can think of like, how this used to be a very manual process, even in the medical field. Like if you had to transcribe doctor's notes, a lot of times you'd call a service and somebody would like be hand typing these things. Now you can go to you as your speech services and you can speak um, over the phone and have a computer transcript the entire conversation for you and package it up. And it can do that in 14 different locales. So that's phenomenal as well. And that's also in real time. Pretty cool stuff. I've seen some similar things for... We use the product Microsoft Teams, which is equivalent to Slack, if you're familiar with Slack or any other chat tool, but uh, in, a, in a very group setting. So like, let's say we have in a meeting with, uh, you know, I don't know, 30 people and they might, you know, there might be 10 here, there might be 10 over in India and there might be, you know, a few over in, in I don't know, somewhere else. And as you're talking in real time, it's giving you closed caption information based on your location. Right? Yeah, and it's not a person translating this. This right. is all done through the computer. Yeah. And it's accurate. I've seen demos of this being done, and it's and it does incredibly well. Um, 
So really, really cool stuff and, and incredibly powerful. And it's only going to get better. Like the, the more and more machine learning uh, grows and develops, like that stuff is only going to get more and more uh, com- feature complete and more accurate. Um, and it's going to become second nature. You're just going to be like, why the hell didn't we have this before? And, yeah. Or, or, or you'll get some software that doesn't have it and you'll be like, wow, this is ancient. I'll, I'll, I'll segue this and this will be the wrap up here, but I want to talk a little bit just about how they're using this in a practical way. And so it sounds kind of cheesy because I think when you look at the world's problems to solve, you think like coffee is not one of them probably, but it's a very cool practical example what they're doing with Starbucks right now. And they have this thing called, um, deep brew. Okay. Deep brew is kind of the code name behind like this artificial intelligence at Starbucks. And they have a project called purple fish. And if you're a Starbucks fan, aficionado, you're going to see this in your Starbucks app sooner than later. It's, it's, it's in testing right now. It's going to be released very soon. Um, and what I can tell you is that they're using these models to determine based on your location, based on the weather conditions, and based on your order history, what drinks and food to recommend to you. Um, for example, before this technology, if you were a vegetarian, they would, they would recommend to you um, maybe the most popular product, which would be like, I don't know, some kind of, if we're talking food, it might be a, a wrap, like, like, or, you know, the spinach feta wrap, but maybe it would be like the sausage, egg, cheese sandwich, which I'm vegetarian. I can't eat that. Or if you, you know, but it was a very naive thing. It would just say, look, like based on what all of our customers like, we're going to suggest that to everybody. And I didn't really find the edge cases they didn't find people that are vegetarian or didn't like hot drink. And so what happens now is that through Microsoft um, artificial intelligence, what they can do is collect all this data on your preferences and they can say, look, I know that when Kyle is in Seattle and what's, a, what's the weather is like this, he's going to get, you know, a, uh, a blonde espresso with, with extra cream. Oh, you nailed it. Boom. That's what I get. <laughs> I get a, I get a, I get a quad. But, you know, like they'll suggest that to me and they'll suggest food items that are similar along those lines. And if it's warm outside, they might, uh, you know, I used to get like the iced espresso. So that would be a a suggestion. Super cool now how it's very targeted to you and not just what um, what everybody wants. Like they're really trying to dial into like user preference and find ways to cater to what you specifically enjoy and what you would like to eat or drink. And, and get the nuance out of there, right? Like before we would create these kind of, I guess you might call them algorithms, really they're not, but basic logic flows where you're like, oh, if he orders something in the morning at this particular location, usually he gets this, right? Now you're trying to factor in, factor in all these different scenarios like weather or, you know, oh, maybe during this set of months, he suddenly changes his pattern and he does this. So you're doing pattern recognition instead exactly of- exactly right. Yeah, instead of this like, oh, well, kind of this, you know, binary on off type check yeah yeah exactly right if you know that it's 105 degrees in uh baton rouge uh then you know like you're not going to want to get the the hot espresso we're going to recommend this instead and so it's 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 using a lot of different variables behind the scenes to make smart recommendations and this apply i mean this is a coffee example it's 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 what they're doing at starbucks but they're doing this across the board and in other verticals too so you're going to see this in like healthcare you can see this in clothing and like all kinds of other things where it's not just a dumb guess about what you might like, but it's like, no, we really understand this person uh, and this demographic. And we're going to make sure that we're giving you tailored uh, selections that, that you really like. And so I think that's a positive for everybody because it's going to remove a lot of the shit that you see in advertisements and in the apps and all that kind of stuff. So it'll give you much more, yeah, much more targeted and an approachable set of ads instead of a very binary, like we said, binary, Yeah, like, Oh, you looked at, you know, baby stuff you must be having a baby well right. no i didn't you know or i looked at it that was because of somebody else's having a baby not because i will whereas maybe this would be smart enough to figure that out or use some other kind of mechanism to figure out that maybe that's not the case that's right and give you some better suggestions so i think that's really exciting i think there's a ton of use cases i'm excited really to see where it is that we can use this kind of technology in our projects here yep obviously with our uh, selling platform that's a uh, pretty valuable tool, but I think we can use it in other places there, and there's some value. There were some good use cases with our texting platform that's going to be starting up here in July. And I think that's going to be really cool too. Like we can automate responses based on what people say to us. So if they say, yeah, I want an insurance quote, then we can direct them the proper way. And if they say piss off, then we know that we don't want to call them again. So that's all done in the back end 
handled automatically by Azure and their um, cognitive services. So it's very cool. Well, and I think something that you've already brought up that's been pretty cool is you you get the disposition of the text message as it's returned to you. So if somebody's like, fuck you, you blah, 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 you know, yeah. you know, oh, well, these guys were probably not pretty happy, so maybe we should remove them. Whereas, you know, if somebody replies in kind of a positive way, you can record that as well and, and act upon it. So I think that's pretty valuable too. And that's based on just pure text obviously you have no idea what the person is actually feeling yeah um but but cognitive services can figure that out based on um details of the message itself which is really really exciting i agree it's super exciting and i want to say too we geek out about it as tech people but it's also going to benefit everyone because they're going to get a better quality product and they're going to get tailored results that they want and not all this crap that you don't really care about so well good show today we didn't get through a whole lot of it uh next week i think we're gonna have some possibly some new new functionality here we might have some video we're going video next week we're gonna be in 3d baby we're gonna do this all right well as always the coffee code cast is recorded live from seattle washington every wednesday at 9 p.m eastern 6 p.m pacific join us at www.coffeecodecast.com slash live the artwork is provided by Yurnay, the gentle giant. Check out more of his illustrations at www.coffeecodecast.com slash gentle giant. You can reach out to us at coffeecodecast at coffeecodecast at gmail.com. Uh, the podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and Radio Public, or wherever you get your podcasts. All this is available on www.coffeecodecast.com. And uh, we'll see everybody next week. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.